0: Chapter 13 of Bracebridge Hall by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Horsemanship. A coach was a strange monster in those days, and the sight of one put both horse and man into amazement. Some said it was a great crab-shell brought out of China, and some imagined it to be one of the pagan temples in which the cannibals adored the devil. TAYLOR, THE WATER POET I have made casual mention, more than once, of one of the squire's antiquated retainers, Old Christie the Huntsman. I find that his crabbed humour is a source of much entertainment among the young men of the family the oxonian particularly takes a mischievous pleasure now and then in slyly rubbing the old man against the grain and then smoothing him down again for the old fellow is as ready to bristle up his back as a porcupine he rides a venerable hunter called pepper which is a counterpart of himself a heady cross-grained animal that frets the flesh off its bones bites kicks and plays all manner of villainous tricks he is as tough and nearly as old as his rider who has ridden him time out of mind and is indeed the only one that can do anything with him sometimes however they have a complete quarrel and a dispute for mastery and then i am told it is as good as a farce to see the heat they both get into and the wrong-headed contest that ensues. For they are quite knowing in each other's ways, and in the art of teasing and fretting each other. Notwithstanding these daughty brawls, however, there is nothing that nettles old Christie sooner than to question the merits of his horse, which he upholds as tenaciously as a faithful husband will vindicate the virtues of the termagant spouse that gives him a curtain lecture every night of his life. The young men call old Christie their professor of equitation, and in an accounting for the appellation they let me into some particulars of the squire's mode of bringing up his children. There is an odd mixture of eccentricity and good sense in all the opinions of my worthy host. His mind is like modern Gothic, where plain brickwork is set off with pointed arches and plain tracery though the main groundwork of his opinions is correct yet he has a thousand little notions picked up from old books which stand out whimsically on the surface of his mind thus in educating his boys he chose Peacham, markham and such old english writers for his manuals at an early age he took the lads out of their mother's hands who was disposed as mothers are apt to be to make fine orderly children of them that should keep out of sun and rain and never soil their hands nor tear their clothes in place of this the squire turned them loose to run free and wild about the park without heeding wind or weather he was also particularly attentive in making them bold and expert horsemen and these were the days when old Christie, the huntsman enjoyed great importance as the lads are put under his care to practice them at the leaping bars, and to keep an eye upon them in the chase. The squire always objected to their using carriages of any kind, and is still a little tenacious on this point. He often rails against the universal use of carriages, and quotes the words of Honest Nash to that effect. Quote, it was thought, says Nash, in his Quaternio, a kind of solecism. AND TO SAVOR OF EFFEMINACY, FOR A YOUNG GENTLEMAN IN THE FLOURISHING TIME OF HIS AGE, TO CREEP INTO A COACH, AND TO SHROUD HIMSELF FROM WIND AND WEATHER. OUR GREAT DELIGHT WAS TO OUTBRAVE THE blustering BOREAS UPON A GREAT HORSE. TO ARM AND PREPARE OURSELVES TO GO WITH MARS AND Bologna INTO THE FIELD WAS OUR SPORT AND PASTIME. COACHES AND CARISHES WE LEFT UNTO THEM, FOR WHOM THEY WERE FIRST INVENTED, FOR LADIES AND GENTLEMEN, a decrepit age, and impotent people. The squire insists that the English gentlemen have lost much of their hardiness and manhood since the introduction of carriages. Quote, Compare, he will say, the fine gentlemen of former times, ever on horseback, booted and spurred and travel-stained, but open, frank, manly, and chivalrous, with the fine gentlemen of the present day, full of affectation and effeminacy, rolling along a turnpike in his voluptuous vehicle. The young men of those days were rendered brave and lofty and generous in their notions, by almost living in their saddles, and having their foaming steeds like proud seas under them. There is something, he adds, in bestriding a fine horse, that makes a man feel more than mortal. He seems to have doubled his nature— and to have added to his own courage and sagacity the power, the speed, and stateliness of the superb animal on which he is mounted. Quote. Quote, it is a great delight, says old Nash, to see a young gentleman with his skill and cunning, by his voice, rod, and spur, better to manage and to command the great Bucephalus than the strongest Milo, with all his strength. One while to see him make him tread, trot and gallop the ring, and one after to see him make him gather up roundly, to bear his head steadily, to run a full career swiftly, to stop a sudden lightly, anon after to see him make him advance, to York, to go back inside long, to turn on either hand, to gallop the gallop galliard, to do the capriole, the cambetta, and dance the curvetti. In conformity to these ideas, the squire had them all on horseback at an early age, and made them ride, slapdash, about the country, without flinching at hedge or ditch or stone wall, to the imminent danger of their necks. Even the fair Julia was partially included in this system, and, under the instructions of old Christie, has become one of the best horsewomen in the county. The squire says it is better than all the cosmetics and sweeteners of the breath that ever were invented. He extols the horsemanship of the ladies in former times, when Queen Elizabeth would scarcely suffer the rain to stop her accustomed ride. Quote, and then think, he will say, what nobler and sweeter beings it made them! What a difference must there be, both in mind and body, between a joyous, high-spirited dame of those days Glowing with health and exercise, freshened by every breeze that blows, seated loftily and gracefully on her saddle, with plume on head and hawk on hand, and her descendant of the present day, the pale victim of routs and ballrooms, sunk languidly in one corner of an enervating carriage. End quote. The squire's equestrian system has been attended with great success, for his sons, having passed through the whole course of instruction without breaking neck or limb, are now healthful, spirited, and active, and have the true Englishman's love for a horse. If their manliness and frankness are praised in their father's hearing, he quotes the old Persian maxim, and says, They have been taught to ride, to shoot, and to speak the truth. It is true the Oxonian has now and then practiced the old gentleman's doctrines a little in the extreme. He is a gay youngster, rather fonder of his horse than his book, with a little dash of the dandy, though the ladies all declare that he is the flower of the flock. The first year that he was sent to Oxford, he had a tutor appointed to overlook him, a dry chip of the university. When he returned home in the vacation, the squire made many inquiries about how he liked his college, his studies, and his tutor. Quote, Oh, as to my tutor, sir, I have parted with him some time since. End quote. Quote, you have? And pray why so? End quote. Quote, oh, sir, hunting was all the go at our college, and I was a little short of funds, so I discharged my tutor and took a horse, you know. End quote. Quote, ah, I was not aware of that, Tom. End quote. Said the squire mildly. When Tom returned to college, his allowance was doubled that he might be enabled to keep both horse and tutor. End of chapter thirteen. Recording by Greg Giordano. Newport Ritchie, Florida.